We are driving with G. We got, man, 14-year Super Bowl champion drafted by the Seattle Seahawks. Big Sam Adams, what's happening, baby? What's going on, ho? Oh, we good. We good. Hey, we got to, hold on. We got to put some business in here first. Now, you know, driving with G, we did a Lyft thing. And, and this event we're going to, Lyft right now is doing a little special. Got to get you righteous with the special with Lyft. Lyft oh. is doing a thing now where you put the promo, the little promo code, GoHawks18. Okay. You put that in your phone, GoHawks18, and then you get $5 off of rides to and from CenturyLink Field. So okay. when you go to the game day, let's see, back in your day when you played, they ain't had no Uber and Lyft. You had to walk a mile. They had no loop, Lyfts. A mile. <laughs> walk a mile to the game. <laughs> What they're doing is, I mean, Lyft is doing a thing all, like I said, all month long. Okay. And uh, they're partnering with the Seahawks to benefit the Mission Continues. It's a nonprofit. The Mission Continues, and mm -hmm. that's where, that's what we're gonna take you. We're taking you to meet some veterans, you know, in honor okay. of all the veterans. Never forget all those out there, Sam. What those veterans out there in this world mean to you, man? Man, I'll tell you, you know, I had family that was in, a, that were in the service and. You know, we're very thankful for everything, obviously, with all the things that are happening out there. I'm very supportive, and we're extremely grateful for the service that these veterans have done for us because we have to be protected, especially uh, now. Well, veterans, they kind of like the offensive line. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. what I mean by the offensive line is you don't never talk about the offensive line unless something happens. Right. If everything is all good, then you talk about, ooh, did you see that play, the quarterback, the wide receiver? But man, y'all never show love to the folks that's protecting you all the time. Not the groundhog. <laughs> not the, not the groundhog. They they the forgotten guy. They the forgotten guy. Yeah. But you know, my dad was offensive lineman, so mm. I know. You mm. know, it, it all starts with the offense and defensive line, and you know, we let the pretty boys stay pretty. Ah, uh, speaking speaking of that, man. I mean, Sam. We, before we talk about what you're doing now, let's go back to the beginning, man. You've been around football your whole life. Like I said, you were. Uh, draft pick by the Seahawks back in the day, but before that, before you were a Texas A&M Aggie, before all that, when did you know football was going to be your life? Man, you know, I never really thought it wasn't going to be anything different, you know. <laughs> when I was born, you know, I was born in Texas, and my dad played for the New England Patriots, and so we moved back and forth from New England to to Houston, and I mean, it was always a thing where I'm, I'm going to be a football player. I didn't know that it was a job. And for those that play for a long time, they don't treat it as a job. They treat it as, this is something I do, I wanna be the best at and I love it. Right. And so if you're blessed enough to play something or to do something that you love, it's not, it's not work. When it starts becoming work is when it's time to start doing something else. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and so you saw your dad as an offensive lineman. You saw him, and how long did he play? He played for 12 years. Years playing, man. So you was just around it the entire time, and then so in high school you were playing, and then of course, what made you decide to go to Texas A&M and be an Aggie? You know, I, first of all, growing up, that they're the butt of every joke, Aggies. You know, I actually wanted to go to University of Texas. Uh, I mean, I, SC and Texas probably were the two that I really, I really wanted to go to, but it felt like a family at Texas A&M. Mm -hmm. You know, they didn't. I mean, recruiting back then was crazy. I mean, they, they would show up at your doorstep. They're there at the school. I mean, it was, you know, the rules were not like it is now. And 
So I, I decided to, to go to Texas A&M because it felt like a family atmosphere and right. I felt like I could trust them. And it was a good decision because, you know, they're still in my lives today. Yeah, no doubt about that. So now let's go ahead and I want to talk about you get drafted by the Seahawks. When you first got the phone call and found out you were getting drafted to the Seahawks, tell us about that day. <laughs> Man, when I got drafted by C- Seattle, I was like, where is Seattle? <laughs> it's not like I wasn't smart or anything, but, you know, the, the Seahawks really at that time, it wasn't something that you really thought about. You know, it they weren't, they weren't very good. And, you know, Cortez Kennedy and Michael Sinclair were here and, and Michael McCrary. And, I mean, they had all the pieces. And so I was grateful for the opportunity. Um, I was thankful to be able to play next to a legend and who became my friend and, and mentored me through my career. And so it was, it was a blessing. But I was like, man, Seattle, what? It rains up there. And, and so <laughs> when I got here, we were bad and it was rain. I think it had like 94 straight days of rain my, my rookie year. And we were 2-14. and 14. <laughs> But I had a blast. I had fun. And, you know, I was, I was playing with Hall of Famers and, and all pros all around me. So, you know, we got it together and eventually got them where they are now. We kind of laid the foundation for them. You know, I, I've never had – I mean, I've met Cortez Kennedy a bunch of times. I, I got to know him. But I've never really got to really have conversations – with those who actually were in that D-line room mm. with Cortez Kennedy. So, because there's a difference. It's one thing to play on the team with Cortez right. or to have known Cortez, right. but to say, no, 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 Hoss, I was in that D-line room with Cortez. Talk about those experiences. Man, you know, it was up and down in that room. I mean, you kind of had to be a tough guy to be in that room because it was dog eat dog. I mean, at one point in time, four of us, in that room, we're in the Pro Bowl. Four of us. Ugh. All the starting four were all in the Pro Bowl. Not a lot of people can say that. And so, you know, if you if you're if, if you're not pulling your weight, it could be a bad day for you. Because if Sinclair's not getting two or three sacks, McCrary getting two or three, Cortez is always getting uh, to the quarterback and putting pressure. And then you have myself as a young buck. I was like, man, if I don't go, if I don't do what I had to do, I'm going I'm to look bad. So I didn't like that at all. And I was brought there to take the pressure off of him so that he could really be special. And I thought I did that while I was here. I had five and a half sacks my, my rookie year, and I was able to take that pressure off. But I tell you what, man, in that room, if you're not, if you're not doing your thing, the coach didn't really have to say too much, even though he did. Tommy Brazier was a tough guy, but it, it was it was real bad for him, really bad. And then we had Joe Nash, who was a 14-year NFL vet as well. That you know he'd been to a few Pro Bowls himself. So it, you know, basically it, it was a strong room, high character, and uh, if you weren't accountable, man, it would be really tough for you to get along in that room. All right. Well, I mean. Can you give us some stories, man? Can we can we have a, a story that maybe none of us don't know about or something that you remember, a funny story? Come on, I know you got some good stories, Big Sam. Man. Or something that happened in that D-line room or on the team. I tell you, the, one of the things I remember, it, this was the funniest thing that I that had happened. Because Cortez was a prankster. He's a joker. If you can't, if you didn't have a good sense of humor, you couldn't deal with him. But So I remember this like it was yesterday. 
So we had a cat come in, Philip Daniels, young cat. He's the D-line coach now for the Philadelphia Eagles. And uh, <laughs> we were playing the Minnesota Vikings. Uh-huh. Minnesota had this special guard named Randall McDaniel. He's a Hall of Famer as well. <laughs> yeah. Good friends with Cortez. And I remember we were out there and <laughs> we get to the sideline and, and the coach is like, man, what is going on, Cortez? You're not getting any pressure. I mean, Sam and Sam is getting double teamed. So what is the problem? He's the only one getting double teamed. He's like, man, Randall, he Randall's on it today. Randall is on it. So we go in for a couple more series, and they send Philip in. The very first play, Philip gets a sack on Randall McDaniel. Oh, the very first play. <laughs> so we get. <laughs> So we get to the sideline, and so Sinclair's like, so um, Cortez, Randall's really on it today, isn't he? He said, man, Phillips should have got a sack. I softened him up for him. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I I will never forget that. Never forget that. I softened him up for him all game. Okay, Cortez. What's, What's one of the biggest lessons that you can say that you can take away from your relationship from Cortez Kennedy? Ooh. I know you had probably many lessons. You can pick one or two lessons that, that you t- take away from what you learned from Cortez that, you know, that you carry out through the rest of your career and maybe throughout the rest of your life. You know, he would always, he taught me how to treat people. I think that was the best thing because I was not great at, you know, I'm thinking that everything's a war and it's a battle. And, you know, in between plays, he would talk to the guy, hey, you know, it's all good, man, good play. And I was like, dog, how was that a good play? I mean, they won. That's our enemy. And he's like, look, Sam, you know, one, you got to always talk to the opponents because it softens them up a little bit because they are nervous. And if you are everything that they advertise, they're already on edge. So you soften them up a little bit, and then you always speak to the referees. Referees have the most difficult job of anybody. And so when you start talking to them, instead of, you know, they call off sides or it's holding and yelling at them, then you'll never get the call you want. So when I learned that, I started getting voted to go into Pro Bowls. I stopped getting as many penalties. And it kind of taught me, you know, it doesn't matter what they do. It's about your actions Mm -hmm. and your actions. People will remember. And when they remember, they remember at times where you need them to remember it. And so if you treat people right, they will always respond. Man, that's that's deep. That's that's real deep right there. And then so you were a Seahawk. You're playing, you're balling. And then what happened? Like, we, we thought the Seahawks were going to keep you forever. I thought so, too. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought so, too. Mike Holmgren came in. We so go left or right, 520? Left. Left. Mike Holmgren came in. and Mike Holmgren came in. Um, it wasn't a good year. Uh, basically, bruh, uh, right before the season started, our – defensive coordinator Fritz Shermer died and made the year even more difficult for everyone 
And so we were end up nine and seven the first time that we went to the playoffs. Uh, it was a blessing. Um, after the season, he wanted to keep me. Um, I I knew I was on top of my game, but he the way he negotiated, he wanted to wait. And so I told the wife, I'm gonna get on the road. You know, Cortez advised me, saying me to get on the road, see what else is out there. And I waited for a little bit. Uh, our offensive line coach from Seattle went to Green Bay and gave me a call. And Ozzie Newsom, who knew my father, uh, gave us a call. So we went to, on a trip to Baltimore and Green Bay. It's funny, I couldn't even get the deal done uh, in Baltimore. So I was like, I'm going to the airport. I left, went to the airport, checked in, had my bags on the plane already in Baltimore called. Stop, what are you doing? Why aren't you at the hotel? And I was like, bro, y'all, y'all ain't taking care of business. I'm, I'm, I'm going to Green Bay. I'd already, I, I got an agreement. No, don't leave. And they convinced me not to leave. I stayed, went to the Super Bowl, and uh, the rest is history. Did you go to the Super Bowl? And for those watching right now, look, I know this is driving with G. We talk Seahawks stuff, but I mean, come on now. Sam Adams played 14 years, Super Bowl champion, and arguably, you know, one of the best defenses of all time. You know what I'm saying? The 2000 Ravens and the 2013 Seahawks is in the conversation, but that 2000 Ravens team, man, man, what, what made that defense so good? What, what, I mean, you, you and Ray Lewis and Sarah Goosa, oh my goodness, what made it so good? Ed Reed. You know, like, I, like we were talking about earlier, it's not about what, you know, it's not about what you think you're doing, it's about what you're doing today. We wanted to win a Super Bowl, but we didn't make that the point. We wanted to go out every day wasn't a job and dominate each and every opponent that we had starting in practice if you practice against us right you are gonna if you don't bring it you're gonna get beat down now we didn't practice you know we're not going two a days every day but we when we get in there we're going hunting and so we practice a little bit different than everyone else we had a competition we had a competition period every every day where the first-team offense was going against the first-team defense. Well, that's first-team went against first-team? First-team went against first-team in practice. So we made each other better. You know, you get these teams nowadays, especially these high schools, they don't practice with pads on. You don't have to bang as much and so forth. Um, but we went out there in practice. We got our periods, but then we competed so that we kept our edge. And then when we got out on the field, we had that edge. Mm -hmm. We weren't trying to win the game. We were trying to physically dominate you and demoralize you so that you never wanted to play against us again. And we had a mindset and a temperament and an attitude. We were playing hard and fast. And it was just a different thing than I had ever played. Other places, it felt like it was fake. It felt like they were pretending to, to try to do it. And there... We lived it. We lived it on the field. We lived it off the field. And it was uh, it was ingrained in us. And so I thought that Ozzy, like we did here with the Seahawks, I thought they did a great job of drafting and bringing in guys that fit the mold. Now, they talk about, people talk about 
a good fit and so forth. But people still have to kind of conform. He brought guys for Marvin Lewis's defense that knew or that, that lived that way right. on and off the field, that were tough guys, that didn't talk about it, that were all about it, and that had a different goal than making millions and millions. Well, everybody wanted to make money, but it had a different goal than the money, had a different goal than, you know, just winning. They were talking about legacy. Right. You know, what, what is our footprints in the sand going to look like? Who are we, how are we going to be remembered when we're done with this season? Is it, you know, they, they were a good team that didn't get it done or it became we are the most dominant force to ever grace this field. And then if we take care of the little things, we'll get the big things. We'll get the ring. We'll get every championship that we won. We had to first we had to beat win our conference. I mean, them jokers were good. That I mean we had the Raiders, we had the Tennessee Titans. I mean they they were very good. Eddie George and those cats, it was it was a physical conference. And so we had to take one step at a time. And if you take one step at a time, you win your division, you win your conference you get to the Super Bowl and you win that, then I thought it was a pragmatic approach. I mean, the coach was very good. He was extremely organized, kind of like Homer, and that's why they had success. Right. And when you see these, when you saw the success of the Seahawks here just recently with their run, playoffs, winning the Super Bowl, mm -hmm. did it remind you of what you saw with the Ravens? It did a little bit. I always thought that, you know, if I was still here, they'd have won too. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they did let Jerome Bettis run crazy on them, <laughs> you know, the one year. But, you know, I, I, I thought that when I looked at them and they, and they started playing really physical and aggressive and they started bringing in like-minded guys that were tough guys. And all, for me, it always starts on the defense anyway. Like-minded guys that were tough guys, I mean, they had to bring in a couple Aggies. They always keep an Aggie or two on the defensive line. Big Red Bryant. Shout out to Big Red Bryant. They always keep an Aggie up in there. <laughs> and then they they were really aggressive. Had good coaching. And that's the one thing. When they have extremely well-organized coaches, that, that always separates you. And then you bring in guys that fit the fingerprint, not guys that have to conform more so to right. your fingerprint. And so when I looked at them – I mean, I didn't think they were us, but I thought that they, because they were built a little bit different. You know, they had smaller guys that were physical and aggressive and so forth. And they had bangers in the secondary. I mean, bangers in the secondary. And that was, you know, it was fun to watch them getting after the quarterback and how they were doing things. Um, they went about a little bit different again, but it was exactly how it needed to be. If you look at a lot of these, I mean, a lot of teams don't win. You don't want to get all the way over there. But yeah. a lot of these teams don't win before defense, uh, and that's why they don't go to the Super Bowl. You know, I, I'm, I'm anxious to see what happens with these Rams, you know, because it's been one or two times. They've given up a lot of points. They can score, but they don't have that dominant force. When you look at a dominant, a dominant team, you know, you, if, if we can't score, we ain't going to win. If, if we can't score, we are not going to win. And so it kind of demoralizes them before they even get into the game. When you looked at the Seahawks, you knew that if you can't control them, they're going to get after you. If right. you can't slow them down because they pin their ears back every single down. And I think the young bucks that they have now, they're trying to learn how to do that. They're trying to learn how to, you know, find their way and so forth. 
Uh, I think that, you know, eventually there's some young budding stars on that on that defense. Um, but they just got to live with their with their preaching to them. And they got to know the system and, you know, play fast. And when you're able to do that and cut it loose, mm-hmm. help, help me understand this. Like, I've noticed that, not to say that there weren't always, you know, edge rushers because there were, but today the edge rusher that they show today has really been highlighted today. How is that how are D lines different today than when you play? You know, I don't think they have a lot of complete defensive tackles, and they have taken the defensive end, edge rusher, so to speak, and you know he's really a linebacker. I, he's smaller and quicker and faster, um, but that has been dictated to. Well, that's on my side, man. Yeah, yeah, that's on your <laughs> side. Yeah, 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 I got you, I got you, I got you. That's been dictated to by the defense, by the offensive tackles. Oh, talk to, okay. I mean, you know, it's not a bunch of Walter Jones. It's not any Walter Joneses out there. It's not any Jonathan Ogden's out there, Tony Baselli's. It's not, you don't have a bunch of monsters running around. I think that boy in Dallas might be the closest thing, but... I'm just saying that, you know, that kind of dictated. So you got the smaller, faster guys that have made it a little more difficult, uh, the speed rushers. And then you don't have the monsters that are pushing the pocket and, you know, getting up the field and taking on two and three dudes. And, I mean, it's a little bit different. And and because they had less of those, teams started running more 3-4 and hybrids and 3-3-5s. And it's because of the lack of of the monster defensive tackles that, you know, were around when I played. And, you know, you got that boy, that Donaldson boy in St. Louis, or I'm not in St. Uh, Louis, uh, L.A. Aaron Donald? Aaron Donald, that's his name. Yeah. Aaron Donald? Yeah. He can get down. He, he, Is he, he good, can, Sam? He can go. He, he, he can go. He's a John Randall type. Um, not as shifty, um, but he's the next, he's the next one up. Uh, he can really go. They're having a hard time with him. Right, right. So here we are <laughs> present day, and uh, I'm going to go ahead and, and be very transparent with everybody so everybody knows. Have, of course, Sam is a Seahawks legend, former Seahawks player, and played in the NFL for 14 years. But However, our sons play on the same high school football team. So here we are today, and Sam, I want to go to it. No, you got three kids. You got one, your oldest is playing D1 football at Arizona State down there for Herm Edwards. Mm -hmm. You have a daughter that's playing D1 basketball for San Diego State down in San Diego for the Aztecs. Mm -hmm. And then you have your youngest son, Sam Adams Jr., who is on a team with my son. He is going to play Division One football. How in the world do y'all have what is what do y'all kind of water y'all drinking in, in your house? <laughs> We've been blessed, man. You know, my my parents were both athletes. The wifey was an athlete, and you know we raised them right. We've been blessed. They have a lot of talent, and they utilize that talent. Though they, you know, one thing you can't say about my kid, them jokers work, and you know, like little Sam last night. After football practice, he goes to Tracy Ford's FSB, and he works out again. <laughs> His older brother out of high school had to go to junior college, had some surgeries, had to go to junior college, was in junior college for three years, and then he earned a scholarship to Arizona State. Right. 
his daughter, I mean, my daughter, his their sister, played AAU basketball. AAU basketball is a different beast now, dog. I mean, you get done with high school basketball, you gotta you go play 60-something games in the spring and summertime. Mm-hmm. And she grinded You're with Emerald City and Jason Basket. And so I've been blessed to have great people around them because it's not necessarily everything that you do at the house, right. but it's the people you surround your kids with. It's the people, it's... That's why we go to Eastside Catholic. I wanted them uh, to be in, in a Christian environment. I wanted them to be, um, when I sent them to school with people that I know are going to do the right thing with them. And so they continue that message. And then the Jeremy Theobar. I mean, the cat coached in college. They run a college a collegiate system. And they're preparing them for the next level. Daughter-wise, Sam Lee was my was my I was my daughter's AAU coach, but Sam Lee at Juanita um, was a tough guy. You know, I always talk about toughness. I want my kids to be tough because it's not easy out there. And uh, he was a tough guy. He taught her what she needed to be, and so we were blessed to have the right people around our kids. You know, because a lot of kids have talent, they're just not in the right environment with the right people. And I think that we got our kids and with the right people, and it's helping them thrive. Yeah, 100% on that. So, uh, okay, as far as in the future, what's on the bucket list for Sam Adams? What's, what's Sam Adams wants to do for the rest of his life? Something that's, that, that, you, that you haven't done yet that's on that bucket list. You know, to be honest with you, bro, being a professional football player, the best that we can hope to do is, is continue the life of service after we're done playing because – we are entertainers, but we're more than just entertainers. And so if I can continue to touch people's lives and helping these young kids, my kids first and foremost, and these other kids that I'm able to coach and be around, if we can teach them the life of service and continue to serve, that would be the number one thing that I, I can do. Because if we can't serve others and we can't serve our community, then what good are we? And so if I'm blessed to continue to do that, then then I would have a, a life well done. Well, there it is. There's Sam Adams, another episode of Driving with G. Make sure you guys take advantage. Lyft, open up your phones, d- dig up Lyft, open it up in the promo code section, put in GoHawks18, GoHawks18. And guess what, y'all? You get $5 off of rides to and from CenturyLink Field. That's going to happen, and this is going to benefit the mission continues. That's going to be happening as Lyft partners with the Seahawks, and right now I'm taking Big Sam Adams right now down to this event, down in Renton at the Veterans Center, where the mission continues. He's going to be giving a facelift to a center for where the veterans are. Man, looking forward to that, and uh, I really appreciate everybody for watching Driving with G every single week. Go Hawks.